Hi, I'm Beck Rayner, and this is the Military Wife Life podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports, and embraces the spouses behind the military members by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Want to join a bank that just gets Defence Life? Defence Bank is one of Australia's largest customer-owned banks. They have 33 on-base branches across Australia, an award-winning banking app that allows you to do all your banking wherever, whenever, and Defence Bank offers competitive products and services tailored for ADF members and defence spouses. Visit defencebank.com.au today and see how easy your banking can be. Welcome, Matt and Mel, to the Military Wife Life podcast. Thanks, Beck. Great to be here. Great to talk to you. Thank you, Beck. Great to be here. Today, we're chatting about military life, relationships, and transition out of defence. But I guess, can we go back, Matt, to when you first met Mel, or even before you met Mel? Did you have any reservations about how a relationship would work when you are in defence, your job takes you away, you have a lot of demands on you with your job in defence? Did you have any forethought before getting into a relationship? Yeah, I did, Beck, and I think that's something over the last probably 10 years that I've been kind of trying to juggle and manage at the same time as my work commitments. I had been in a relationship previously when I was in uh, NARA at HMAS Albatross in the Navy. And that was a long distance relationship, fairly close distance really, with, with a girlfriend who was in Sydney at the time. So I was back and forth on weekends and trips away and the rest of it. So I had a bit of an insight then. And, um, you know, going away to see after that really brought into the spotlight the fact that it was going to be difficult to manage. And it would take the special, special lady, I think, to pull that off. And I think that's what I found myself. Obviously going into another relationship, knowing that there would be needing to be some allowances and some give and take sort of thing. Did that have an impact on, like you mentioned, waiting until that right person came along that you knew would be able to understand what was required of you, but then also you on your part able to, I guess, step back a little bit and make some sacrifices on your end as well? Yeah, I think it did, Beck. I think, um, you know, me and Mel, we were definitely keen and interested in each other from the the get-go, from the start, really. We spent a lot of time together. But as soon as we got together, I knew that it was going to work perfectly with her. She was, you know, very independent, very driven. She was living up with uh, with me in Queensland quite quickly and she just found that she worked really well with my work routine, family, friends and um, and on the other side of the coin I guess joining Air Force which I joined after Navy. It was hard, it was a focus on me to balance my time and my commitments between you know family and personal life along with a very grueling and very uh, very busy work schedule with Air Force traveling around the country and really internationally following that. Did you find that there was any difference between the commitments of Navy and Air Force and allowing a relationship to work or have, you know, family commitments and and commitments outside of defence? Was there much of a difference between Navy and Air Force? I started out with Navy and aviation role as a pilot on Seahawk helicopters. And, you know, that was the first um, 12 years of my career with the military. And most of that was spent down at HMAS Albatross at the air base. So, so long as I was willing to find a partner in the area or move a partner to the area down there, then there was no problems. Going to sea changed things a little bit. I deployed in 2015 and 2016 to the Middle East for seven months. And it was a busy eight or nine months before that with workup training. So that was quite hectic. But the majority of my Navy time was really um, quite favorable for family relations. But Air Force was extremely busy um, with the aircraft type I flew, which was the C-17, because we'd be away with you know missions between two or three days, two weeks at a time, and very little rest, and also very little predictability between when those missions might come up. So that was extremely hard for prioritising family. And Mel, when you went into a relationship with Matt and when you met Matt, 
Did you have any expectations or did you make any considerations about what it would take to have a relationship with someone in defence or what that would be like? Did you have any knowledge going into it? Look, I had never really thought about it until we met. So it was always front of mind for me when we did meet about, you know, what my future would hold being together with Matt. And I guess for me, the biggest consideration I needed to make was the allocation of time and how often he'd need to be away on a mission and how much time we'd be spending together and making the most of that time when we were together and also you know his time in defense had been you know since the age of 17 for Matt so he I guess is in a sense very used to you know defense life um, and this was the first time for me so I knew that for myself there'd be a lot more of a readjustment required to make the relationship work. I guess fairly early on you you both experienced separations from each other how was that experience for both of you um, and how did you stay connected when you were kind of only just sort of establishing the relationship. I found that we got together in April 2016. It was actually at a good friend's 30th birthday party in Sydney we met and we spent a lot of the next week together. In fact, we just hit it off so well from the start. And soon after that, I went off to the Gold Coast for my brother's wedding up in the Gold Coast hinterland. You know, I came back to Sydney for just a couple of days before I packed up and moved up to Brisbane for good for Air Force. And I said, that, I said to Mel, look, I want to make this work. I want to get the most out of the relationship. I think we've got the right chemistry here, but it is going to mean going to a long distance thing to start with. And I'm willing to try it and give it everything I've got. And I just had that open conversation. Put that on the table for Mel and she, um, yeah, she was of the same view, luckily. When you first went into it, obviously at that stage, you didn't even know really what defence life was all about. And here you are meeting this, this guy that you connect with and then all of a sudden he's moving and you're thrown into a long distance relationship. What were you thinking going into it? I have to admit, I was very anxious at the time. I, I had never experienced a long distance relationship myself. And I was generally surprised at how well Matt actually managed the long distance relationship. We kept it alive by, you know, constantly connecting. We were calling each other every day. We were messaging and it was a hard time for myself. I have to admit I was quite hesitant at the start. I wasn't sure about whether I could live in a different city and, and continue this for, you know, a time that we were unsure how long that would actually go for. So I was anxious. And what about the fact that obviously one week you're just living your life in Sydney and then the next week you meet this guy and you guys are totally falling head over heels for each other and then suddenly you're trying to think of future plans that may entail moving to another state and moving for someone that you have only sort of spent little face-to-face time with and then obviously you've grown the relationship long distance but still it's one thing to go from meeting and then into relationship and then moving to the state and in with that person. Like, was that part of the plan? So the first week was an absolute whirlwind. And I mean, it was the best week of our lives. And we reminisce about that week often because we just had so much fun. We were thrown into having to talk about what the future would hold at a very early stage of our relationship, which for most people isn't really the case for them. And I remember only five or six days in we had to sit down and talk. And I remember it was at a cafe at Bondi. And the question was, so are we really doing this? Are we going to keep contact? And you know, in the first week, you don't really have those types of conversations with the other person about, you know, what's the next year look like for us? But very quickly, I could tell that Matt was really keen to pursue the relationship. And I was, and 
it just fell into place really quickly and it made sense. I knew that I would need to make the adjustment and move to Brisbane. And it was a decision that I made very quickly because I knew I wanted to do that. And, you know, moving to be with him just made sense. And that was all I wanted to do at the time. And so making the transition was easy. Hard to leave my family and my friends and a city that I had you know, born and bred and grew up in, but it's been the best decision I've made. And Matt, on your end, obviously there's a little bit of pressure because you guys have met, you're wanting to be together. Long distance is not going to last forever. So the expectation is that Mel will move to be with you because of defence. You don't have that choice. You've got that choice taken out of your hands. So what were you feeling with, you know, that little bit of extra pressure of having her move states, quit her job, feeling out moving in, together and getting to know each other that way. How were you feeling about that? Previously, especially being down at Nara, it's, it's a fairly remote area. I mean, it's three hours from Sydney, so it's not super remote, but a lot of guys and, and girls down there do struggle finding partners and moving them to the area. So prior to meeting Mel, I was a bit hesitant to strike up a relationship, I guess, and, and do the full um, military routine with the sea deployments and the time away with Air Force flying. So, Many mail, everything was was totally turned on its head. I knew from the start it was going to work or we were going to put the effort in to make it what it was. And um, as soon as she moved up, I knew she was the right fit for the life that I had and, and for the next couple of years with Air Force, which was going to be quite straining on her and on the relationship. And that's something I have in the back of my mind throughout, really. And I think that's one thing that delayed my progress a little bit in the Air Force initially, that I was spending a lot of time where I could have been studying, prioritising you know, her family, friends, and after all, by this stage, I'd been in Navy for 12 years, plus two years prior to that when I first joined the Defence Academy. So I think that was, a, that was a fair move after all, after that amount of time with Defence, even if it did hamper slightly my um, Air Force advancement. And so what was the reality once you moved in together and the dust had settled and obviously the excitement of finally being together? And, you know, like you mentioned before, Mel, you're having those big conversations fairly early on in a relationship because a defence couple have to talk about those things. They need to make sure that they're on the same page if they're going to make those big sacrifices and those big decisions to move states and be together and all that comes with defence life. What was the reality of living together after being long distance and not being together for that long? We had an incredible move up to Brisbane. Matt actually drove down to meet me in Sydney I had my car packed, I had a removalist truck and we drove all the way up to Brisbane together and enjoyed the road trip together and spent a couple of nights at different towns on the way up just to celebrate being together. And living with Matt was actually a lot easier than I thought. I had those reservations. Prior to me moving up, we did, well, I did visit a couple of times um, just to get a feel for where he was and to spend some time with him. But finally moving together was a lot easier than I thought. We got on so well. We're really compatible. And how long was it before Defence Life really kicked in and, and Matt went away for the first time or, you know, the realities of Defence Life started to sort of creep in? And then how did you go with being in a new place and, and not knowing anyone and finding a job? It was very tough to begin with because I grew up in a really close, loving family and I was taken away from my sister and my parents who were very close. And 
then, well, soon after he, so he took the leave to spend the time with me when I first arrived. But basically, as soon as that was done, he was traveling to base, which was about 50 minutes each way, and then on missions from then on. The way that I tried to, guess, feel comfortable and um, become familiar with Brisbane was by trying to be active within gyms. I went and joined Pilates. I um, connected really well and closely and quickly with Matt's family. Um, some were living in Brisbane, the majority in the Gold Coast. So I would take some time to drive down to the Gold Coast and, and spend a night or two with his parents who were super welcoming and asked at every opportunity whenever he was away if I wanted to stay with them to keep me company, which was really nice. Um, and work was um, also another you know avenue for me to spend time and dedicate a lot of my energy into while he was away. And I guess just trying to be as proactive around who I was meeting, the friendships I was making, but also connecting back to my family in Sydney via Skype or Messenger. We contact each other every day and to this day, even five years on from moving from Sydney, I speak to them every single day. So having those connections with people were really important to me because I had such close connections in Sydney. And so establishing that same support network for me in Brisbane was priority. And so Matt, how did you find it with suddenly having someone to come home to and then with trips away and all that comes with defence, the demands of the job, was it a different ball game now that you had someone at home waiting for you? You know, it was back, but I just worked from the start, from the get-go. It was just it was just perfect in that, in that respect. And she didn't, obviously she had concerns about me going away, but she didn't always stand. She knew this was a important priority for me and that's something we would get through in a few years. So I tried to keep her in the front of mind. I tried to balance things with her and with work. And I think we did pretty well there. And actually one, one thing comes to mind in, I think it was late 2017. So my first full years flying the C-17, I was away on a trip in the US just before Christmas. And we'd arranged to have my family, my extended family over for a Christmas lunch. This would have been about a week before Christmas. And I think there was about 20 people coming over and Mel had everything planned. I was going to help set up the awning. It was all track, on track to be a great day until the aircraft broke in, um, in the US just outside San Francisco. And I had to call Mel and said, babe, I'm really sorry I can't make it back. I'm going to be two days late for the party. And I thought for all money, she was going to cancel the thing. And I thought, I, I said to her, you know, there's work that needs to be done. You can't do it on your own. So you might as well, you know, cancel and we'll reschedule for another time or next year. But she decided to stick it out and um, put on the whole show on her own, essentially, with a little bit of help from an uncle and from my dad. And she hosted my entire family, many of whom she'd only met, you know, less than a year before. And just, it was just an amazing, um, amazing experience for us. <laughs> so on one side, you're proud that she, she feels comfortable enough with your family to keep the 20 person and lunch and and go on without you on the flip side you're like damn they're gonna go on without me <laughs> yeah i was a bit bummed i was a bit bummed i think i was in pizza somewhere somewhere in san fran that uh, weekend so it wasn't so bad did it change i guess your outlook on on your job in defense and the commitment and all the sacrifices that you have to give for that job when you know life is going on back home and you have this person that you want to be with and you've made some future plans with and, and you feel like is the right person for you did it change sort of your passion for the job and what you were doing with defense i think in the longer term beyond that job i knew i'd be probably in a ground job so less busy and more stability and then back into a flying job with more say about when i went away and for how long but even then there was There'd be moves between cities, probably 
two, three, even four within the next um, next 10 years. And Mel had already moved up, left all her friends, left her family. She was in Brisbane with me. So the next move might have been Canberra. And I just looked down the track and I, I thought, you know, this is a big strain on us. From a family perspective, I really put that into the mix when I came to plan my decision to leave. And yeah, it did weigh fairly heavily. And when I met Mel, I was 35. And I'm now, I just turned 40, in fact. So family's becoming a more important priority for me. And we're yet to have kids. We're planning that in the near future. And I feel like I've done a lot of other things. And that's that needs to be my priority now. Nine out of 10 defence spouses wish they found out about defence banks sooner. Okay, I might have just made that up and they do sponsor my podcast, but I've checked them out and I think they're worth a look just for their banking app alone. It's award-winning, has cool features like fast same-day payments, card alerts and controls, and pin change functionality, savings roundups, Apple Pay, Google Pay, Fitbit Pay, Garmin Pay, the list goes on. Oh, and if you really want to go to a branch, you can. There are 33 on-base branches across Australia. Banking as a defence spouse doesn't have to be hard. For more info, visit defencebank.com.au. Mel, when obviously you moved up and you've been up there for a little while and you were, I guess, both realising that maybe defence life is not going to be the the long-term future for you both and for, you know, future plans. What was that like for you to have those discussions with Matt, you know, it's a job that he had been training for and, and, and doing and being promoted in and giving his all to for so long. And then, you know, his plans are changing, not because of you, but he's wanting to change those plans and take a different path with you. What were you feeling when those discussions were happening? I took them really seriously because this was a real serious move for Matt. He'd been in defence for over 17 years and it was all he knew. My concerns were mostly around how he'd transition out and, you know, fit into the civilian life, what he would do, what avenues would he take, how would he feel about transitioning, what was he leaving behind. The conversations were definitely mostly about how he would feel and how he would cope with the transition and he was definitely ready to do it and our conversations were about what he would do and the excitement and the world that would be laid open to him when he did and that was really exciting to have those discussions and we had a lot of them we we didn't take this decision lightly and Matt was really eager to make the right decision and his instincts were telling him that he'd had his time and it was he was ready to leave and it was supporting him through that process through that mindset of shifting from defense life to you know moving into civilian life the thought of having him home more so than I had ever experienced in our whole relationship was really exciting to me and I was so happy he had made that call because that was going to be life-changing for us for our future and so Matt Mel mentioned that your instincts were telling you that you know your time was coming to an end in defense it doesn't make it any easier even though your instincts and your future plans are looking like they just don't fit with defense life it's a huge decision to make like how did you even start that process or that thought process of trying to understand where you even need to start to transition out of defense my transition story goes back to about 2008 with navy when a lot of us air crew were in the training pipeline. We were waiting to convert onto operational helicopter types. So pilots, observers, and uh, air crewmen, plus the associated maintenance technicians, we were all waiting to, to translate onto these new helicopter types. And government actually cancelled the Sea Sprite helicopter project back in 2008 when the Rudd Labor government came in. And that meant 
there was one less squadron in the fleet air arm and a bunch of aircrew and technicians and other personnel weren't required for that um, for that platform. So Navy said to us, you know, thanks guys, um, appreciate your efforts on pilot's course and on your other courses and training yourselves up and getting through, but we no longer need you because we're you know, you surplus to requirements essentially. So that was uh, that was pretty tough to take, and that led to a lot, a lot of waiting around, a lot of sitting around at NARA at the time, waiting for training advancement. That was difficult for a lot of people. So I looked at a role within Air Force. The Air Force was full. I looked at an Army flying position and decided that wasn't for me. And then actually was was shaping to move out and, and move into a Qantas cadetship about that time. Um, and this was when the global financial crisis just kicked off. So that came and uh, finally enough wiped out aviation recruiting for the best part of ten years. Actually, it was just before COVID that uh, recruit stepped up again so about then is when I started to think really closely about my transition plans and luckily I made use of defense funding to do a few things including the defense assisted study scheme which allowed me to do a, um, a master of business back in 2012-13 which was paid for by defense so I had a, one eye on the career one eye on flying and progression and also one eye on what my options were for getting out yeah as far back as 2008-2010. So you're putting in obviously as many steps and sort of helping yourself along the way with the the idea that if you were to transition out of defense, you've given yourself the best possible chance of, I guess, progressing into a career. But on the pra- practical side, what actually happens when you decide, okay, I'm going to discharge, do you just go and tell someone and then it all happens? Or do you have, you know, courses that you have to do? Is there a transition seminar? Like how does it work? And, and is Mel included in that process? What sort of happens? So the space is rapidly changing. It has changed over the last few years. But if I go back to 2008, there was a transition seminar, which was a two-day session. And you'd have advisors from different interested parties, from superannuation, you'd have the financial advice, you'd have advice on CV preparation and on um, job interview strategies and that sort of thing. But following that, you'd, you'd be really left to your own devices to put in your application for separation um, or transfer to the reserves. And you'd go through that process of, uh, of transferring out potentially in as little as um, a month, but usually over about a three-month period. And you'd find yourself as a civilian, either in contact with the reserves or not, and either in contact with Veterans Affairs or not. So that, that space has really changed quite substantially over the last 10 years. And the uh, the ADF transition cell within Defence is much more substantial now. There's a lot more going into it. And the external organisations, including you know, RSL and other ex-service organisations like Soldier On, Mates for Mates, and a sort of other ones, do provide a huge amount of help and there's a huge amount of assistance there, I think. For me, the big struggle was navigating that while I was as busy as I've ever been in my career. Late 2019, I was away on you know, numerous trips internationally, including to, to Africa and Europe and other places. And they'd take me away for two weeks at a time. And I'd be planning frantically for a week or longer before those. So I didn't really have a lot of capacity to put into the planning. And I was lucky I really put thought in over the preceding 10 years into what I wanted to do. And I was ready by having some education and having some good contacts outside of defence. So I actually had a job opportunity which came up in November 2019. So it was either post down to Rap Richmond in Sydney and leave Mel two months before our wedding, which would have resulted in me being stuck down there with COVID for the whole year. So my new wife would have been in Brisbane and I would have been isolated down in uh, in Sydney. So that combined with the fact it was time for me to transfer meant I took an opportunity to move into a defence contracting role in a training position, which I'm in now, which kept me in Brisbane. And that gave me three weeks to put the paperwork through, take care of my medical and step out the door, which was an absolute whirlwind. And I think I got some of it right, but certainly didn't make use of a lot of the help that was available. And because of the nature of you know, how quick it had to happen. Mel, did you feel like you were part of that process or were you just letting Matt handle what he had to do? How involved were you in that process? In terms of involvement, it was mostly our discussions together and Matt telling me 
you know, the updates and the progression that he had made with that transition. And a lot of that was medical. There was a lot of paperwork. Um, Matt came home one day with a box of papers and I couldn't believe you know, medical records that he had to sift through and whatever I could do to support and help him um, and feel at ease was a priority for me. And I've never really heard from defence myself. I was not a part of the process formally, mostly through Matt um, and just connecting with him and, and seeing where things were at and hearing from him his experience as he was going through the transition and provide help where I could. But Matt had to do most of the legwork. And like he said, he'd been already in you know completing missions almost to the end date of his time with defense so they didn't really give him a lot of time to even think about what he had to do to get out and so Matt do you feel like because you sort of stepped in to a contractor role and that that transition was so quick and you know it all sort of happened bang 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 that it was kind of like you didn't fully make that transition out of defense because you can you're still in a contractor role and you still have that connection to defense so it wasn't as much of a leap to go from I guess, defence to the civilian world because you still have that connection? Yeah, 100%. I spoke to someone recently and they described a similar move in their career also into a training role as a soft step. So moving from a uniform role with defence into an industry role where you're working towards the same output, really in the same outcomes for government, for the defence of the nation. You're just with a different employer, you're no longer in uniform, you're now civilian. But I think it really is a good transition pathway and it's early days really. I've been out for a year now, so I think from people I've spoken to, that's going to be a, a journey over several years. Being in that contractor role, you still do have that connection with defence, but the major difference is that defence now doesn't have that control over your life. So what is it like to go from having those limitations, those restrictions that you kind of, you know, have just gotten used to because you've been in defence for so long, that it's not even really a second thought for you to go into this world where you still work with defence, but you don't have those restrictions and limitations. You don't have, you know, in two years time, you will be posted here or who knows where we'll be or all of those kind of, I guess, anxieties and, and things that you, you can't plan for and around um, when you are in defence. Like I think some of the aspects of the military and the, and the processes and the planning for what was going to career development, I really enjoyed and I really loved a lot of what that uh, provided and the stability and the ability to forecast things in the medium term. But where I was in my career and, and my life really was with Mel and what I wanted to achieve in the future, I didn't think they really mattered up for me um, quite right. But stepping out of there, it's funny, I feel really obliged to almost, the word that comes to mind, to just keep continuing with a lot of the traditions and a lot of the norms and behaviours that are expected of people in defence. And I think that's fair to an extent because I am providing a service in a training capacity to the Defence Force. So there are a lot of commonalities there and there is that, um, I guess, that common bond. But it is hard stepping back from that role and, and finding your freedom and finding what I want to do next, that these opportunities and, and um, the choice is really mine. And just coming to grips with, I guess, that individual autonomy and the freedom to make these things and do these decisions free of, of the service obligations. Did you access any information or, I guess, support during your transition process? I know it was a pretty quick transition, but was there anything for you to access? Yeah, not a lot, Beck. I really focused on my healthcare and, and previous injuries. So having joined up in 99 and done two years of ADFA before getting back in in 2004, I had this massive med file. It was over two different distinct folios. So I picked that up along with the CD transcript a digital copy of, of the rest of my file and um, walked that across to DBA via uh, RSL Queensland, actually. So I had an advocate of the RSL who helped me make sense of 
the injuries I had, what was claimable under legislation with Veterans Affairs and what wasn't, um, and put together some claims because I knew as soon as I was out of the claims it would be much more difficult. So that's one thing I prioritised. Um, and beyond that, I just I just relied on the transition seminars that I'd done over the years, one 2008 and one going back to 2017. So I kind of had the view, and maybe it's an accurate perspective, that if I was comfortable enough with the content of those things and the direction they'd take me in, and then I'd be I'd be able to um, you know be flexible and make other things work as I left defence. I was aware at the time there was a lot of help within defence within the transition cell and also with the ex service organisations from RSL Soldier on and um, plenty of other organisations. So the help was out there, but I think for myself I just had that kind of hard nosed perspective that she'll be right that um, I've got the key building blocks in place and the other things will fall into line. So like a lot of veterans and former members, I'm definitely guilty of not using all the help was out there and not even taking the time to fully understand it because that entailed quite a bit of work in its own right to figure out what was what and what was um, relevant. So that support that was out there that obviously, you know, you didn't feel like you needed to access, was it presented in a way that made it easy for you to access it like you know here's your checklist for transition you can access this 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 or was it more like there's all of these places but you just have to be the one to to seek out that support like how did it work with that yeah more of the latter beck after i submitted my paperwork for resignation uh the transition center reached out to me and uh and sent me an email about a few things they could help with but the follow-up arrived after i actually left so bearing in mind that within a three-week period, I essentially signed on the dotted line and transitioned across and I had a little period of leave whilst in the new job. So it was a very quick move. And I think a lot of people are in that boat. A lot of people who don't have the thing planned out properly and whether there's a family circumstance or there's a move into state or something else that causes their separation, I don't think the, the system's been traditionally geared to catering for them um, unless they're in it for themselves and they can leave through and find what's relevant, what's not um, and help themselves. So I'm hoping that's changing now. Defence has stood up a new organisation called the Joint Transition Authority to oversee a lot of these things and including the relationship between defence and DVA. As I said, my, my paperwork saga was, was quite uh, difficult and still ongoing actually with quite a few claims I have that are going through the processes. So the Joint Transition Authority or JTA should oversee that as well as the relationship with the um, Commonwealth Superannuation Corporation. So I'm really keen to see how that evolves and, and how that um, serves members in the future. And I think Defence is leaning forward and learning and, and listening. So it's heading in the right direction. I guess, you know, all of that stuff is going on in the background while you've got a new job and you're trying to focus on a new job. It's practically a full-time job to stay on top of the paperwork and all the things you need to submit and the, the places you need to access support from and even making those calls and making the time to be able to follow those things up. I do feel I was pretty lucky in having been around defence for a while, so knowing really the lay of the land and also and I think a lot of members don't have those opportunities. They're not in a position to do so um, and it becomes too hard, especially if you're throwing something like compassionate grounds and family circumstances or worse still, physical or mental injuries. I think it's, it can be very, very difficult for people to navigate the process. And I think something I'm very passionate about is raising awareness of these things earlier in someone's career and even having defence come on board and recognise that practically, well, in fact, all defence members transition at some time in their career and the vast majority transition before senior ranks or before extended careers. So mm. it's really in defence's interest to make that part of the journey whilst in defence, unlike a us versus them mentality where it's you pull the pin, you quit on the team if you've left. Having the collegiate approach to it and see that as a positive thing for people's careers and their future transitions and even their reserve service and also a positive thing for recruiting the next generation, knowing that people who join defence will have good viable options and they will have, a, I think, a viable and a 
a productive and a safe and a happy move through defence from the other side. And I know a lot of people do struggle, especially with identity mental health. And um, yeah, defence is learning. I think the conversation's happening, but there's, there's more work to go in that area. Yeah. And so as a result of, you know, your passion to... I guess, make that process a little bit easier for others. You started your own podcast called Service and Beyond, where you tell the stories of ADF members who've transitioned out of defence. Can you tell us about your podcast and what it's all about? So I really felt passionate about, I think, doing something for veterans because when they come out of defence, they're finally um, you know, able to choose their own directions. There's a lot of opportunities. It's exciting times. There's also a few risks. And I know for a lot of people, it's a huge change in identity from someone to say they joined as, as I did when I was 17 years old and they come out 20 years later. That's a massive change in, in outlook and life direction. And I know that from my experience in defence when I was mentoring and counselling junior sailors, especially on their career process and their career choices and journey, the system doesn't always support people. And the bureaucratic rules and sometimes the arbitrary decisions aren't in members' favours. And I've seen people come out the worst for it. So it really struck me that Whilst that happens to people in uniform, at the end of their service careers, I think the system and, and really all of us owe it to members to give them what they can to give them the choices and the awareness and the knowledge of the problems and the difficulties and the lessons that people learn when they transition. And I thought there's no better way to do that than listening firsthand to veterans' conversations. And there's been some really, really forthright, really vulnerable and open conversations where people have shared struggles. And there's been people I've known personally who've shared struggles that I had no idea about until they agreed to come on the show. So I am very proud and very happy to be doing this. And um, there's been a great response so far and I hope it continues. So Mel, I mean, there's been lots of twists and turns in your relationship it's gone from being this whirlwind of meeting this guy in defense to moving states to matt transitioning out of defense with with a pretty quick time frame to now working in a contract role and setting up a podcast i mean could you have even imagined any of this happening over the course of the last few years no <laughs> it's been definitely a whirlwind and things can literally change overnight and that's basically what the last few years have taught me um, is uh, we really need to be flexible and um, and be able to change and move together and the important thing about that whole process is being able to talk about it all and making sure that we're both comfortable and Matt's been incredible at making sure that you know uh, how I'm feeling about all these different changes that have been happening in his life and you know to a huge degree our first few years together have been all about his movements his career his changes and his passions and that's been really exciting and I feel honored to be a part of all of that and this podcast is just that cherry on top because it just shows that everything that he did leading up to this was you know all for a great purpose and a story that he can tell everybody about and it's so worth hearing because there has been so much that he's been through, but through his network and connections with people in defence and who have transitioned and left now, their stories, there there are so many common themes. And yeah, it's great to be able to be a part of this and they're fascinating stories. And so Matt, how important is it for, I guess you mentioned that you had the forethought, you know, years prior to transitioning out of defence to kind of put some action plans in place to be able to better yourself so that when the time did come to transition, you had those other skills, you had that other avenue to go or that other path to go down to, you know, for a career out of defence. And then also in between missions and th that little time that you had available, you were submitting paperwork and doing 
all you could to make that the best transition for yourself, but that was all off your own back. How important is it for people to hear other people's stories of transition, even before they're thinking of transition? So when it does come time for their transition, they you know, know what someone else has been through or know what sort of supports to access and can sort of put those plans in place for themselves. I think it's vital that it comes across in the form of a story and, you know, what you're doing here with military wife life is a perfect example of that. Information for spouses, for wives, husbands, it's out there, but it's fragmented and it's a lot of these things are developed as a policy output of a government agency in response to some sort of recommendation or a perceived need. And that's that's fine. And these organisations are doing really generally great work, I think, but it's not necessarily the best thing to listen to, to easily absorb and to understand and, and apply to your own circumstances. And as I've heard from many guests on your show, when you hear someone's story heart to heart, you hear what they've gone through and their own struggles and how they've responded. You instantly, or I instantly absorb that and I understand what that's about and how I can apply it to myself. I can sympathize, I can put myself in their shoes and I can look to the future and see how that thing might affect me. And I think that's just got so much value compared to having to go to a website, go through a policy document, understand some sort of scheme. Um, So having these conversations, I think is just absolutely vital. How can, I guess, the military wife life community tune into your podcast and encourage their, their defense members to also tune in so they can get some insight into transition and other people's stories? Well, first up, Beck, they can follow me at my um, Instagram page, and that's at Service and Beyond Podcast. Um, so that's the main launch pad or landing pad, if you like, for the podcast. I'm also up on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So, um, Mel, what are you most excited about now that Matt is, you know, fully out of defence now, and you can plan future events? He can be home for that twenty-person. Christmas lunch, what are you most excited about with going forward? This may sound like the most boring answer, but it's just those mundane things that you take for granted um, when you don't realise what it's like to not have someone at home and for plans not to go as you'd like or for things to shift left or right um, and without any control. So I'm super excited to now have him home and to think about planning and starting a family. It's been a dream of mine and to build a home um, that we're going to live in for, for years. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the Military Wife Life podcast and telling us all about your experience of meeting long distance and then moving in together, transitioning out of defense and all that comes with that. And then going into a contracting role and now your podcast and helping others with their transition or prepare for transition. Thanks a lot, Beg. Thank you. It's been super fun. Thanks for having me. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 